the words we just sang, Baba Oeshe, means Daddy, Father, thank you. And for me, those are so fitting as I stand here this morning. Um, Daddy, thank you. It's uh, an expression of gratitude and also of trust that we are in his hands. <sighs> These have been some really difficult weeks for our church, our church family. In uh, recent weeks, in the last few months, Pastor Matthew and the elders have been praying through a budget and staffing uh, reduction, a reorg of sorts. And as this process has uh, unfolded and here in recent weeks, uh, it's uh, been in the process of being communicated. These have been difficult days. It's been uh, messy. Um, there are questions. Uh, it's not easy. You may feel some of those things. I can tell you, I feel that. Um, our staff feels that as well. And as a gift alluded to in his prayer, there's a, a change and a turning happening. There's a, a, things are, are shaken up. A pruning of sorts. I think of John chapter 15, where Jesus, in speaking of his followers, likens his disciples to a vine. A vine that in due season will bear fruit, but in other seasons at times, the vine dresser will prune that branch. A branch that is withered will be broken off. And as I think about where we are, where I am, um, I find great rest and confidence in the truth that regardless of what the season is, if we are, have been pruned or are going to be pruned further, if there is fruitfulness or withering ahead, I find great rest and confidence that our fate is in the hands of the vine dresser. We are his. He knows us by name. And that which happens to us is from his hands. We can find confidence in that. As this uh, reduction process unfolded in recent weeks, um, it, it became clear that my season of ministry here at New Hope Church would be coming to a close. And uh, there are so many uh, layers and emotions with that. I've been here uh, a little over a week ago. It's 15, 15 years. And so, as you can imagine, there is real grief and sadness. Just personally, this is my wife and I met here, um, had our, and have raised our, thus far are three kids um, here together. There are so many, so many memories just personally and friendships that we cherish. Um, as a church family, I've gotten kind of nostalgic here in the last week or two. There's so much that we've been through. I was just talking with a friend here after the first gathering and thinking of, you know, each of these seasons that God has carried us through, there have been some really hard ones and some really thrilling ones. And there's such gratitude that I have for all of that. For me as a pastor, I've been in ministry, oh, I guess, uh, I guess 21 years this summer. And 
15 of those years have been here at New Hope Church. And so much of who I am as a pastor has been shaped through these years here. And I'm, I'm so thankful. I'll be honest, I, I didn't envision that I'd be stepping away from New Hope Church at this time. But the sense of release for me and for my wife, Liza, is, is undeniable. Uh, we just sang a couple songs ago, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Uh, for, for us, as we've been walking through these hard and difficult days and um, pain and questions, um, in the midst of that, God's been working in us and preparing us for something new. And uh, he's opened a door for us and for me for this next season of ministry as a pastor. Um, I know you're probably gonna take your phones out and that's fine or do it later. But um, so God has called me to step into a role uh, as executive teaching pastor at a church called Northridge uh, up in Rogers, a wonderful church, uh, a church that I've been connected to for about 20 years. It's 22 years old and I got involved in the early days of its planting and have just tremendous respect for the leaders there and uh, as I've just begun the process of getting to know the team and some of the congregation uh, in these last few weeks, I'm so excited, so grateful uh, for God's call. Um, I have such confidence that that's the place for me to live out this next season of ministry. Even in saying that, I have... All sorts of emotions. I've cried almost all my tears out this morning in the first gathering. Um, there's excitement um, and there's sorrow, and that's just where we are. So, I guess just practically speaking, uh, next Sunday is my last day here at New Hope Church. And uh, today, I was actually scheduled to preach long before I knew this would be my last sermon. And here a week or two ago, Pastor Matthew texted me and asked if I still wanted to preach today. And I'll be honest, there was part of me that was like, I don't think I have it in me. <laughs> It'd be easier to just step away. Um, but as I, I told him, I just, at the time, I said, I'm too raw to make that decision. Let me pray and we'll talk next week. And uh, I was actually just down the road at French Park on the ski trails there about a week and a half ago, and I was listening to worship music and praying. And as I was skiing, um, I was praying for New Hope Church, for us, and all that's going on. And God brought 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, to my mind that says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And, you know, when God hits you, I just knew in that moment, I was like, oh, I got to preach. <laughs> I need to do it. And... You know, as I think back over the years, the privilege of being one of the pastors here and preaching nearly 300 sermons over the years, um, there have been many times that God's called me on a Sunday, Sunday night to a young adult worship gathering or on a Sunday morning here where I've had to preach in less than ideal circumstances for me, for us, I think of uh, and I don't have time to go into all the stories, but just uh, the death of a staff member, death of loved ones here in the church, our church, our young adult community in a season of real pain and crisis. 
think of for my wife and I, some things we've walked through in our family and um, being called to preach. You think of what we've been through, pandemic and political upheaval and riots and, and all of that to preach the word. And so that's, I don't want to say that's all I know how to do, but that's what I know I'm called to do. And so I'm going to try to do that today. Um, and encourage us to take the posture that we seek to take each, each Sunday. That's to open the word, to ask for humble and open hearts, and then to seek to be shepherded and shaped and then empowered by what it is. And so I'm going to pray toward that end. Would you join me? Father, thank you. Baba Oeshe, I say thank you for the gift of these moments together. You are so good for the opportunity for us to be here together to seek you. I pray in the midst of all that we're experiencing, the pain and the questions as well as the hopes and the longings, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would meet us here. As we open your word, we proclaim what we believe, that it is living and active and powerful to cut through to the very depths of our beings and to change us and transform us and to make us more and more into the kinds of people that you desire us to be. That's what we long for today. So as we open your word today, would you shepherd us? Would you uphold us? Would you change us? Would you equip us for what you have for us? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are, uh, today is week four in a series that we're calling Questions God Asks. It's, uh, I think, an 11-week series where we are walking through different points within the storyline of Scripture where God asks a penetrating question to his, his people. So if you think back a couple weeks ago, the first uh, question that we saw was God in the garden asking Adam and Eve, where are you? Why are you hiding? Last weekend, we uh, heard God confront the prophet Jonah and ask, do you do well to be angry? Each of these questions reveals a, a part of God's heart and in some cases, the questions are answered by people. In other instances, the, the questions are left unanswered. Today, week four, the question that God asks is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. So I'd invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn there. Ezekiel chapter 37. And this question is within a vision that God gives to the prophet Ezekiel. I will frame the context of this a bit more as we get going along, but I want to start by just reading uh, the first three verses of chapter 37 for us. Here's what Ezekiel records. He says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, there were, they were very dry. And he, the Lord, said to me, 
Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. The question God asks Ezekiel is, can these bones live? Can these bones live? This question comes in a a vision. In Ezekiel chapter 37. A a challenge with this series that we've seen and we're going to continue to see over these 11 weeks is that in these questions we get plopped into the middle of of a storyline. And we don't spend, don't have the time to spend a great deal of, of exploration of of the whole of the context of what comes before and, and how it plays out after. This is no exception to that. So Ezekiel 37, uh, if you were to read the first 30-some chapters of the book of Ezekiel, you'd see that God has been warning his people through the prophet Ezekiel of the coming judgment. This was written during the Babylonian captivity, a time of great despair and hopelessness for the nation of Israel. Their city, Jerusalem, had been besieged and attacked. Many of the Israeli people were killed. Those that did survive were taken captive and hauled away to a distant land, scattered to different cities. And Ezekiel actually prophesied that this would take place. The book of Ezekiel spans not just during the exile, but some 20 20 to 25 years before and throughout the exile. So the visions and words that God speaks through Ezekiel actually begin before they've been taken captive. So in chapters 3, 4, and 5, Ezekiel actually prophesied that this captivity would take place. And he goes on in the following chapters to declare God's judgment on them, tribe by tribe. And what I think is probably the most prolific portion of this, Ezekiel chapter 22, it tells the story of of their sin that brought about this judgment. So God calls out their, their idolatry. God calls out their sexual immorality. He calls out their oppressing the least of these, their selfishness, their uh, pursuit of dishonest gain. God also confronts their leaders, both political and spiritual leaders, leaders who were more concerned about their own security than they were the actual good of the people. The spiritual leaders who were boldly blurring the lines between right and wrong. And most importantly, most gravely, Ezekiel 22 tells us that they had forgotten the Lord, their God. The foundational, crippling departure from the Lord. So what they were experiencing, what they were facing, all of this was a result of their sin and God's judgment of their sin. Now here in chapter 37, the vision that God brings to Ezekiel, as he's in captivity, he himself is in Babylonian captivity, God comes to him in a vision, and the vision he gives him is of a valley of dry bones. 
Try to picture that with me. Ezekiel is brought out to a valley, and as he sees countless skeletons, bones upon bones upon bones, and he records that the Lord led him around among them out into the middle. And the first thing that pops into my mind is uh, the elephant graveyard in the Lion King, right, where the hyenas hang out. I've got little kids, you can tell. <laughs> you picture this. Ezekiel comes forth and he's surrounded by all these bones. It's a massive graveyard. And these bones have been scattered throughout this valley. No proper burial to every one of those people having been dishonored, literally having been dismembered, their flesh devoured by the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and then left to rot and eventually dry in the heat and sunlight of that valley. Ezekiel says that these bones were very dry. And God asked him the question, can these bones live? The obvious answer is, is no, right? Of course not. They're, they're dead. These corpses have completely decayed. The bones have dried out. Ezekiel actually answers this question. I mentioned in some of these questions God asks, we don't see answers. In this case, Ezekiel answers. God asks, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I answered five words. Oh, Lord God, you know. Some interpret this response as kind of a cop-out of Isaiah, or not Isaiah, Ezekiel, saying, I don't know, God, you know. I, I, don't, I don't read it that way. If you look at how Ezekiel addresses God, how he speaks of God and speaks to God throughout this book of his prophecies, the way that he speaks to God here is consistent with his proclamation. Yahweh, sovereign God. He says, oh Lord God, you know. This is a proclamation, a declaration of God's power and his sovereignty. It's an acknowledgement that to answer that question, it is only by God's power and knowledge that they could come back to life. So wrapped up in that is, is faith and, and surrender from Ezekiel. In verse 4, God responds to Ezekiel. He's asked him this question. Can these bones live? And in the midst of these bones, this valley of dead and dry bones, here in verse 4 is what the Lord said to Ezekiel. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. 
and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so Ezekiel, in response to this, obeys verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he, the Lord, said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. There Ezekiel stands in the silence and death of these bones. And as he prophesies, imagine that sound. The silence being broken with the rattling of these bones that begin to be formed together, bone upon bone. And not only does God bring these bones together and restore their flesh, cover them with skin, but he then breathes life into these bodies. The, the climax of the vision is these dead bones come to life. God breathes life into them and they lived and they stand to their feet and there before Ezekiel is a great army. What was once a, a heap of dead Dry bones is now a living, breathing, massive army of the Lord. This all sounds so strange, right? If you walked into the church today and some guy gets up and starts crying before the message and then we read about bones and sinews and flesh, and bones rattling, this is very strange. In verse 11, God interprets this for us. He interprets the vision that he gave to Ezekiel for us. Verse 11, Ezekiel records, he says, Then he, the Lord, said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean, cut off. God tells him what the bones represent the nation of, of Israel. And so then he gives Ezekiel another command to prophesy. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, prophesy and say to them, say to the whole house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Verse 14, and I, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. 
The vision that God gives Ezekiel is a fulfillment of this promise. In the midst of a a nation that is desolate, hopeless, in ruins, God brings him into the midst of that and says, these bones, this nation that is without hope, without life, this broken and captive people, God says, these bones will live again. And with that hope in view, God calls Ezekiel to prophesy to the house of Israel. To the house of Israel. Verses 12 through 14, there are three amazing dimensions of this. I'll highlight them just briefly. In verse 12, in this prophecy to the nation of Israel, we see a a resurrection In verse 12, God says that I will raise you from your graves. This is the most prominent picture of resurrection in the Old Testament, pointing forward to Christ being resurrected and the promise then of all who trust in him that we too will one day be raised to life, come out of our graves to be resurrected. This is a part of this promise. You shall be raised from your graves. Verse 14, we also see regeneration. The Holy Spirit will be put within them. Verse 14 says, and I will put my spirit within you. Within you and you shall live. A revival of the heart and soul. And there's also a restoration. Verse 14 tells us that They will be placed within their land. Verse 13. Verse 14. That they will be placed within their land. They'll be returned and and restored. Verse 12. I'll bring you into the land of, of Israel. For Ezekiel, and for those scattered living as captives, this is incredible hope. Not just for those living in Babylonian captivity. That was the second invasion that took the people of Israel captive. Prior to that, the Assyrians came and assaulted and took captive a portion of the tribes of Israel. Ezekiel's to prophesy to the whole house and to tell them together that restoration will come. The judgment that they have been living in will pass and that God will take their hopeless, lifeless bodies and bring life. Verse 14, God says, I have spoken and I will do it. I want to zero in on two words from the question that God asked Ezekiel this morning. God asked the question, can these bones live? We're going to look at two words from that together. The first is the word can. Can. Is it possible for bones to live again? Can God do it? 
This to Ezekiel, this first word is a question of faith to look beyond the natural and the seen, what's humanly possible. Can God bring dead bones to life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can bring dead bones to life? This is the question that Ezekiel was faced with. Is it possible? Can God do it? Verse 5 tells us that it is only done by the life and spirit of God. Verse 5, God promises, he says, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Verse 14, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. The spirit of God, the life-giving power of God is how dead bones come alive. So the breath and the wind and the spirit, this is all the same Hebrew word. It shows up eight times in this, in this vision, this part of this passage. And it is this spirit that God, the ruah, the, the breath and spirit of God that brings these bones to life. It's the spirit of God in Genesis 2 verse 7 that we see him breathing into Adam to bring life into his lungs. Can dead bones live? Do you believe that God can bring bones to life? The second word I want us to reflect on is these. Can these bones live? You may say, yes, God can. He is able. He is capable of bringing dead bones to life. He can. But can he bring these bones to life? Can he bring your dead bones and my dead bones and the pain and death that we see around us? Can he breathe life into those places? What dead bones around you do you have a hard time believing that God can, can revive? It starts as we, you and I, look in the, in the mirror, without the breath of the Spirit of God, we are dead. Like a heap of dry bones. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to just read this for us. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4 of Ephesians 2, But God... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, Paul puts it this way in verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If Christ is in you, these bones can live. If Christ is in you, have you responded to this invitation of the Lord Jesus? Have you acknowledged, like Paul proclaimed in Ephesians 2, that you are dead in your trespasses, that you are a slave to disobedience like all of us, like mankind? And have you trusted by grace through faith that Christ Jesus can give life to your mortal body? If so, if you have, if Christ is in you, then his Holy Spirit dwells in you. The very same spirit that raised the Lord Jesus from the grave, that conquered the powers of sin and death, that very same spirit lives in you. I, I was sharing this passage with uh, our middle school students a couple months ago. And as I'm sitting there in a room of you know, 40, 50 middle schoolers, I can look a sixth grader in the eye and tell them that they don't have a partial installment of the Holy Spirit. It's not a junior Holy Spirit. They have the fullness of the Spirit of God. The very same Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your and my mortal bodies. If he is in you, he will give life life to you. This is the life that Jesus invited his followers to, an abundant life, not a life of ease or comfort, but a life of obedience to take up one's cross and to follow. And in this life, the spirit that raised Jesus is promised to dwell within us. And not just to dwell within us as an installment, this language here of this spirit giving life to our mortal bodies isn't a one-time occurrence. This is an ongoing participle. He will continue to give life to us, to resurrect our dead bones, to revive us and restore us. I've been so gripped here in uh, the last two, three weeks with what God has been doing, uh, what he began to do in Asbury, a college and seminary campus for some, oh, I think it was 15 days. Prayer and worship continuously. And I watched here on Thursday night uh, kind of a culmination of all this. It was a celebration of what was the 200th anniversary of the collegiate night of, of prayer, uh, a night that began many years ago uh, in uh, the afterglow of the Great Awakening. 
And for me, I've been captivated by this because I so desperately long to see this kind of move of the Spirit. I've been kind of nostalgic here in recent weeks, and thinking back all these years in ministry, the a part of the whole reason why God called me to be a pastor, wrapped into that story that's for another time, is God planted in me a desire to see his spirit bring life. So in college and in seminary 20 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, I, I found myself, the projects that I did, the papers that I wrote, the things that I had the option to, to choose, all focused on the move of the spirit a longing that I have deep within to see God's kingdom come in fullness because I believe with my whole heart that what God has saved us into isn't just an eternal life and a kingdom that will come someday, although it will come in fullness. What he has called us and rescued us and commissioned us into is to live in the fullness of that in the here and now, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is and fully will be in heaven. And so this passage in Ezekiel 37 for me is I see Ezekiel and I picture him standing in this valley of dry bones and God asks, can these bones live? What I stand before and picture and long for is standing before the church of the Lord Jesus Christ longing for us to awaken from our slumber, to not just go through the motions or be content to be comfortable playing church, but that we would hunger and thirst for this living water that Jesus said, that living water, those streams of living water would be his spirit that would come into and through us that we would come alive. Our mortal bodies would find life and meaning and purpose and power. This is the hope that I have and the longing that I have. And it's the hope that I want to leave with you. A living hope. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope, how? Through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It is sealed and certain through his resurrection. And that inheritance that he has provided for us now and eternally is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This is our hope. Let me pray. Jesus, without your life, without your presence, we are dead, hopeless, powerless, lifeless, but God, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which you loved us, you make us alive together with Christ. Oh, the joy and the hope 
that you bring us through the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this hope. We pray that we would live in this hope. Not a hope of something past tense that happened once before, not a hope of something future tense of something that will happen, although both of those are true. A hope that is living today. Hope that springs forth as you breathe your life into our mortal bodies by your Holy Spirit. We say, come, Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us. Break away that which is not of you. Strip away the pretense. Strip away our self-reliance. Strip away all the sin that so easily entangles us and may you breathe in us that we may run the race with endurance that you've set before us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, as you go this week, may God fill you with his presence. Uh, if you've got time to stick around, we've got a gathering down the hall for our Africa Next Sunday uh, in Sandburg. God bless you. Thanks.